Bobcat's small articulated loaders fit within tight boundaries and they work beyond the limits. Their impressive lifting capabilities are housed in a machine that easily works inside fenced-in landscapes, small lots, and more. They're the ultimate tools for tree care professionals. A tight-turning articulation joint allows precise maneuverability, and a telescoping lift arm on the L28 model extends your reach to grab or dump materials in tricky areas. An automatic turf-safe traction mode limits the chance of cutting into the turf while you work. The wide variety of Bobcat attachments helps you handle whatever the job dishes out, whether it's moving logs, digging, hauling dirt, or clearing snow. With Bobcat quality, comfort, and performance, this machine fits right in and rises to the challenge every time. To learn more about small articulated loaders or to check out the full Bobcat compact loader lineup, visit bobcat.com or see your local dealer. Samson is excited to introduce V24, the next level in premium double braided climbing lines. Providing high strength and low stretch, V24 was engineered so the core and the cover work in unison, ensuring the same high quality and performance that you have come to expect from all Samson products. In addition, V24 provides excellent knot holding, foot locking, and works seamlessly with climbing hardware. Available in 11 millimeter, 12 millimeter, and 13 millimeter. All sizes are CEEN 1891 certified. For more information on V24, visit samsonrope.com or contact your local supplier. Okay, so kind of like where I started, I kind of went through a few thoughts and I was thinking, you know, where I started and it was basically from a dear friend of mine and I had two kids doing it wildly. And it was basically, I was doing 70% of the work and he was getting paid 70%. He was like, when you're done, we're done. And that didn't settle well with me. So I basically just started studying um, biology of trees, you know, tree names, you know, the proper techniques to do with trees. I started learning about soil. And then in 2014, I got my LLC. Um, I can remember, coming home with two kids, just blood, sweat, and tears, literally, like just went into all of it of, you know, having a tree business and having two kids that were in sports and just, I'm sure people hired me and I heard, you know, later on in life, that was just the hard work. I'm sure it wasn't the skill at that point because there wasn't very much skill, but needless to say, um, I went, I, I figured there was an easier way to do it about four years later. So I looked up on the internet, I don't know why not before, but I found the Texas ISA and the WTCW, which is the Women's Tree Climbing Workshop. And I went to the ISA and right after that was the workshop and I was showing Bear Levangie, which is, oh, she's amazing. Her and her sister both. Um, some pictures of me and my kids taking a tree down with no helmet, no, I mean, I didn't have any climbing gear. Anyways, they were just like, oh honey. <laughs> they kind of put me under their wing, luckily. Um, from there, they invited like any WTCW members to go to Fits and Fibers. I went to Fits and Fibers. I got to meet Mark Pesterat, Martin Penrose, Tom Anderson, Bessie Parks, um, Chris Coates, Andreas. Those are all like some people that are still stuck with me. And I've just started picking mentors out, like people I wanted to be like and who I could learn from. And I traveled around. I went and worked with Park Trees in Ohio. And then I went and worked. I went all the way to British Columbia. I went to the Pistol, the Pestle Symposium, which I wasn't invited to, but I was kind of like, I say I'm like the donkey on Shrek, you know, like we're having waffles, you know, like I'm staying. Anyways, I walked in the Pistle Symposium and Kristen Stratting was standing there and I walked over to her and I was kind of like, how are you? And she's like, do I know you? And I was like, no, but you're going to. Like, anyways, ended up kind of went into British Columbia, stayed on the University of British Columbia with Martin Penrose and got to do some help with the fits and fibers, learning about ropes and fibers and brake tests and all that cool stuff. I don't know. Have you got to learn about any of that cool stuff? Bits and pieces where I can, but. It's really, really interesting when you start learning about the, the types of fibers and how they work together and how they don't work together and you're trusting your life on it. And it's like, and then there's such a deeper, those, those guys um, have given me such a deeper meaning to not just tree work, but life in general, like, it's not worth your life. And, you know, certain sayings that I say all through my day to different people, 
you might look like a mushroom, but you won't be a vegetable, you know, wear a helmet, you know, things like that, that are silly little things, but it matters at the end of the day, like if people go home safe or not. And so just a whole new tweak of design of how I was doing things, you know, and from there, I went to Knoxville to watch nationals. I got to meet Brick Riley, which is one of my favorite people of, you know, of all times. He's just an amazing human. Um, furthermore, I, you know, I did some time at Renaissance Acres in New Hampshire, just learning about safety. And he made me go through safe chainsaw safety before I ever touched one of his chainsaws. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, I've touched many chainsaws, but I completely understand. And so the most amazing person that Mark is showed me the ropes. And then from there, when I was in British Columbia, let's back up a little bit. I get all excited. Sorry. Uh, when I was in British Columbia, I'd applied right before I left for the scholarship for the WCCW just because, you know, when you're in Texas in this little part of nowhere, you don't really know a whole lot of stuff. So I was just like, I applied for that scholarship. I ended up getting it, which was amazing. And also at the same time, Reiko, which is a biologist on the team that we went to Africa with, she also received it. And I was like, oh, cool. You know, this biologist got it at the same time. Well, from there, it was just kind of went to WTCW. And it was awesome. I mean, it's everything about it, the, the integrity, the leadership, the camaraderie, the skill building, the teams, the, you know, feeling empowered, every single bit of it is just right there, like in a spoonful of soul food is what I call it. But I could speak for hours about them, all the people, Star and Amanda. And I mean, there's Maria, there's just so many awesome ones that Roxy, like, those girls have seriously, like, I track to be anywhere close to anything that they do remarkably well, because they all do it very well. But then I met Reiko, and I, I have good people skills, I guess, and I stayed in contact with her, and I wore this gig in Texas um, at Dos Brises. It's like a Regal and Chateau place. Anyways, fancy, fancy. I was very excited, and I was able to hire... Star and Amanda and BJ, um, just some of the top climbers in my book. Um, and they came and showed me for a week or two, like stayed out on the range and just showed me, you know, different rigging styles and just silly little things like that you think that somebody would know, but without the training, like I'm YouTube over here try, in the middle of nowhere trying to get this line set. And it's like, I learned how to install the friction saver on the, like with the book on the ground. And my brother was like, so how do you do this? And I was like, oh, we're about to see. And it happened and I jumped. I was just like, ah, it happened. That's exactly how you do it. Like I was all magic worker or something. It was awesome. But uh, then um, kind of how I met Reiko was like I said, the WTCW, I was at the the ranch and I called her one. I was talking to a dear friend that had some mishaps and couldn't really, climb much can't really do much at all anyways I was just kind of like telling her to think positive like let's go climb with the monkeys and I had told Reiko at one point you know I'm gonna go to Africa with you and help you with this you know conservation project and she had said at one point we we're sitting at the camp and she's like you know I've had probably 100 people tell me they were gonna go to Africa with me and here you are and I was like I told you like <laughs> here I am anyway so uh yeah from the ranch I I got off the phone with Daphne and then I called Reiko and she was just like, Tana, I'm so worried about checking these cameras. And I was like, why? And she was like, my hip. And I was like, you can do it, Reiko. Like I'd climbed with her at the WTCW. She said it was all me that, that helped her climb. And I'm like, no, dude, it was all you. All I did was just encourage you. Like she did it all. She did amazing. And all the footwork that she did when we were actually in the field in Africa, like the conservation she did, walked. She walked kilometers and kilometers and kilometers. I'm talking like, I think the furthest I walked one day was 11 kilometers to try to see the elephant, which I didn't see. But she would walk, walk and walk. Like one time I saw this hippo in the Kamoli River and I was just like, it was her and her baby. So I was trying to be real quiet. And she like poked her ears up and she kind of looked around and I knew she saw me. And that evening we met back at camp. She came home late and I, or I say home, but she came back to camp late. And I was just kind of like, I was worried about you. And I said, she said, I saw a mama and her baby today and I, said, I saw them she said man they made hooked it you know they made it and I'm like man that's really cool anyways um so I call back I'm sorry I get all excited I call Rico she couldn't she was nervous about how she's gonna check the cameras because of her hip dysplasia and I was like I know someone 
know someone. She's like, who? And I said, me. I'm very capable of climbing up, getting a camera, checking the, changing the SD card, changing the battery, you know, whatever I need to do. I'm very capable of that. I do it every day. You know, in the hot, I feel like Texas, in a weird way, is comparable to Africa's heat. Like, I mean, I don't know how to explain it, but it is. So she was just like, really, are you serious? And I was like, yeah. And she was, you know, it's a nonprofit. So she's kind of just like, put your money where your mouth is kind of thing. Like, could you pay for it? And so got off the phone with her, looked up flights and I booked a flight from New York. Not really sure how I was going to get to New York at that point. Cause I was driving an RV, which I still have, but that's another story. Anyways, I booked the flight from New York, JFK to Abidjan. And so then I was like, I'm going to Africa, but then I didn't even take into consideration all the work that was going to be having to be done to be able to even make it on the plane. I mean, like you have to go through yellow fever shot. I mean, never mind. You have to have your passport up to date, which luckily because I've been to British Columbia, it was. And um, you have to do like pay 2000 Safa just to like the Auburn Health Ministry, I believe, just to make sure if you get sick over there, they can send you back. You have to buy insurance to make sure she's like, make sure you buy the insurance, Anna. Make sure, you know, like you have to buy this insurance because if something was to happen to you over there, she said, you know, at one point her daughter went over there and got sick and, you know, it's a lot of money, but if you pay the insurance, it just seems to really, it covered every bit of it. It's like her being in the hospital and everything. But, um, so the yellow field shot, you have to get like a letter from the ambassador over there. Like you have to write a letter of who you are, why you even want to come into their country. Um, kind of like your credentials, what your story is. They want to know it all. And you have to even get like an acceptance letter back. So you're like sitting here waiting for all this. You have to make sure you have the COVID test within like 72 hours of leaving. For some reason, I, the fly, something happened and my COVID test was like just right at the breaking point. And I was stuck in the airport in New York for like 40 hours or like something. And I was nervous, like, oh, oh no, like, what am I going to do? Am I even going to make it to Africa at this point? Like my dad's like, you know, you should be going to a different country, you know, your kids. And I'm like, well, my mom was taking care of the kids were taking care of it. It was just kind of like, yes, I should still go. And at this point, I was like, I was sitting in the New York airport, like maybe I should just give up at this point, you know? Yeah. It was like, no. And Amy Burkett, which is Burkett Tree Care out of Texas, dear friend of mine and a wonderful person. I love her and Tyler. They're amazing people. Uh, I was on the phone with her and I was just like, this is a wild guess, but is there any possible way you would want to go fund me like the chance to go to Africa so I can get my COVID test right now? Because they're offering at the airport, which is like God awful amount, you know, like three times the amount it should be. Mm-hmm. Um, she's like, yeah, no problem. Took her like 30 minutes, sent it over, took my COVID test, then got on the airplane, just nervous. And then flew. I think the flight was ended up being, I went to Paris. I was like, oh, cool, I'm going to be in Paris, but I was only there for like 30, 45 minutes. So it was like straight to the other plane. I got to like, I got a cup from Starbucks. Like, yes, I've been to Paris. Uh, then from Paris to Abidjan, um, once I got to Abidjan, I was supposed to meet the assistant, Serge. Um, anyways, Serge was there. He lived there in Abidjan. I skipped over a whole lot of stuff that I want to say because it's exciting. So... Right before, okay, so waiting, once Reiko, we decided that I was going to go or whatever, I kind of, like, had quite a bit of time, like, three or four months, so I was just kind of getting stuff together. Anyways, you have to think about all of it, like, you have to think about the bugs over there, the bug spray is different. You have to think about, like, a bug net over what you're going to sleep in. You're going to be in the bush for three weeks at a time, like, we went to two different parts of the bush. Anyways, there was a point... It was just like, oh my gosh, this is so much, so much that goes into, you're going to another country. And, and when you get into the other country, there's nothing I can do to make sure that you're going to be safe. There's nothing I can do to secure mm-hmm. So it was just kind of like, <sighs> but it was, once I got there, it was really nerve wracking because I didn't know a lot of French and they speak French there. Yep. And so I was just kind of like, walk out and there's a whole line of, and it was just so horrific because it was like they were blocking them off and there was so many people and they were just looking at me because I was the only white person there and I'm just like can't get a hold of Reiko because my phone doesn't work in a different country and I'm nervous and I can't I'm just standing in the wrong spot and they're trying to tell me to move to a different spot but I'm just kind of like 
<sighs> well, about that time, Serge comes out of the blue in a yellow shirt, which I'm still looking for a yellow shirt. Well, who knew everybody and their dog was going to wear a yellow shirt that day? Like, oh my gosh, did everybody get the memo? Anyways, she was like, I told him he should have a sign. And I was like, he should have a sign. Anyways, so I get with Serge, we get a taxi. And I don't know if you've ever been to another country or not, but Mexico is a little bit the same, but you don't speak the language and it's just, it's so different. I soak it all up. Like I soaked up like the dirt floors and everybody was just looking at me and I like, I learned with all the kids I could find. And they, they was, it was really cool to be in a different country. And they thought I was like, who is this? What is this? Anyway, so then in Abidjan, I stayed the night in a hotel and I got to meet the bouncer, which was a big burly dude, Andre. And he seemed real rough on the outside, but he was oh so sweet. He slept on the floor outside in this little in the little dirt floor and he stayed at that door of that hotel. Like, I don't know, it was so cute. And the cook there, the cook Ben, he was really cool. I still am in contact with him. Um, from Abidjan. I met the next day at the bus, Sanzen, which is, he was from a different part of Africa. I don't want to misinterpret or say it wrong, so I'm not going to say it at all. But he was a college student that was studying anthropology, and he was there to collect baboon dung. So, interesting character, this, this Sanzen, he cracked me up. He was such a city boy, like, even from Africa, like, he had these pictures of, like, three-piece suits and, like... I don't know. He was just like Mr. City Boy. Well, anyway, so me and I, me and Sensen get on the bus. It's four hours in to Bondico. Bondico, we're supposed to meet Reiko. So we meet Reiko. We meet um, the driver of her, like her main assistant, David. He's He knows more English than any of the rest of them. So I talked with him quite a bit. Uh, I know good English, Dana. I said, yes, you know, amazing English, David. But he's, anyways. Well, she got sick that evening in the hotel and it was just kind of like crap. So they were sent to the city to get the right medicine. They didn't get the right medicine. Well, ends up, she had to call the ambulance. So the ambulance had to come from Abidjan four hours into Bondico and take her four hours back in wow. to Abidjan, right? And so here I am with David and Sanzan. Sanzan doesn't speak any or very little English. We had an English and French translation, which you know, as well as I, is not a conversation. Yeah. <laughs> so just get the point across. Uh, anyway, so me, David, Sanzan, we're going 10 hours into Africa, like towards the Kamoli research station. Reiko's four hours the other way. So we end up being about 14 hours apart at the first of the start of the deal. So I'm just kind of like, you know, these roads get, uh, they get treacherous. I'm talking treacherous and we're in this old Toyota land cruiser all this stuff packed down for you know three four weeks of in the bush like food and onions and eggplant and i've realized now how long you can let vegetables sit and, it and it'd still be good <laughs> um you know just and it was just wild it was just wild um we got into kakapan the village and it was just i'm just i'm like a little kid most of the time anyways just want to learn and curious and I love the people and the place and the trees and how important they all are and how we're all so alike even if we don't speak the same language and how it was just it was amazing as soon as I got there they gave me this little hut it had cement floors and one bed and it had one seat and actually had like this little stand and a little tv on it and I was like oh how cute you know they're all can't don't have running water but they have a tv which I don't watch TV, but nonetheless, it was funny that they had one. Um, which Abu, my assistant, was so kind to let me borrow. He stayed at his family's little hut, which his mom ended up being named Tana. How ironic. His dad was like one of the leaders of the village. I ended up meeting the chief in this whole time. Like I stopped by and met the chief one day on the motorcycle. That was cool. And he said, oh, he told me, thank you. The first day we were out there, I was like, oh, you know, here we are. I know there's water and it's scorching hot outside. Like, let's go to the river. Well, I can't get this across. I have a translator, but it's not translating well. We end up to get a hold of Reiko on the phone in the hospital. And I'm like, let me go, to, you know, like, let me go swimming. And she said, well, they can do that, but the project can't pay for it. You know, you have to pay them. I ended up paying them, whatever I paid them. So we ride 26 kilometers into the park which Kakapan's like the village on right out on the outside of the protected forest. 
and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. Like we're getting in the water and I'm like, come on, come on. They said, Tana, come here, come here. And I'm like, whatever. Mustad's kind of staying with me a little bit, but Abu's like, you know, staying way back. And I'm just kind of like, okay, at one point I'm like, maybe he's nervous about the hippos or the animals or something, you know, like maybe that's like, okay, maybe we should. Sorry, so we start going back this way. Well, I didn't know that they couldn't swim. No clue whatsoever. Didn't even think about it. So we're coming back, we're treacherous, you know, like we're trudging through and there's one spot that's real deep and a boost setting on these rocks over here. And I go and Musa goes and I'm like kicking to get out and Musa still isn't up. And I'm just kind of, I look at a boo and he's just kind of like, I don't know. Like, and I'm like, aren't you going to do something? And he, you know, all my lifeguarding skills just automatically kick in. Like I'm an injured or something anyways. And I get in and he's stuck in this, like his foot stuck in this rock. So I like get him out, get him to shore. And he's staring straight through me, like foam's coming out of his mouth. And I'm freaking out a booze kind of freaking out I get him on the side I kind of like you know do a little bit of CPR and he kind of spits up a little water and sits up and he like kind of laughs you know and I was just kind of like if only I could speak your language you know and Abu is laughing and Musa is kind of like it's serious you know but Musa mm-hmm. is serious because he almost drowned he realized that but Abu doesn't get it later we were at you know at camp and we were talking about it and I said tell him if he was joking like right now you find out you translate if he was joking I'm gonna be pissed like that scared the heebie-jeebies out of me I was shaking like you wouldn't believe like I just saved someone's life and she said no it wasn't a joke like he's gonna name his firstborn after you and I was like ah that's what's up so I guess Musa whenever he has a child which he has a girlfriend in uh Bondico anyways maybe when they get married and have a kid I'll have a little kid named after me. Reiko jokingly said, you know, like, yeah, they're going to be asking me for child support. <laughs> I, I love. That's funny. It was. Anyways, one night we were, <laughs> we were at camp and she said, Atena, come here. And so I walk over there and she had the solar thing that kind of charged in the sun every day for her iPod. So she could look at the videos that we had, you know, like if they were right efficient or, you know, before I left, before she left in the, ambulance she kind of went over a few videos of like you know this this positioning of this video is not good you mm-hmm. know we need to see where monkeys could crawl you know like they, where they would come and sit and watch things we want to see what they're doing see you know their inact their interaction and i was like all right all right and i started getting real serious at this point kind of like you know i'm really in africa i'm about to go you know do this and it was getting so exciting because it was like this is really happening you know like these endangered extremely endangered species of monkeys like she's like you probably won't see them they're heavily poached which is kind of sad when you think about it because I flew into the Ivory Coast and there's no elephants not one elephant on the Ivory Coast never mind when we were leaving we went by the market and this little bitty Reiko she's skinny tiny she's speaks she's beyond intelligent she speaks three languages Japanese French and English she was reading two different books I think one in Japanese and one in French when we were there way out of my league as far as intelligence but that's just kind of giving you an outline of her person but we went to this market as we were leaving and um a guy kind of showed us some ivory and she was just like where did you get this do you know this is illegal and I'm like holy cow like there's movies about this like we're gonna get shot you know but she's all full and like kind of like you know put her finger down it was funny um but back to Reiko I was saying she was showing me kind of the videos of like what she's looking for and what we're doing and I was kind of like okay cool I still didn't understand really how it was going to go down. Like, I, you know, here I am. I'm here. I know it took a lot of work to get here, but really what is it going to consist of? And she kind of showed me some videos. And so we go swimming that day. We get back and she's like, show them maybe a little bit of like some climbing stuff. They've never done single rope. They've only ever done double rope. And I'm like, all right. So that evening in the village after we got back from saving Mustafa's life and whatnot, you know, you have to ride these motorcycles back and we get back and I'm like, all right, I get my, my, climbing stuff on I get my throw line out and this that and the other I'd already kind of taken a liking to all the kids in the village because I'm different and I'm loud and I'm connective and anyway so we're going over there and all these kids are just like every tree you see they're like looking out of every corner just watching like what are they doing what are they doing and Musa and Abu got up there on the knee of the foot of cinder and the chest harness and just absolutely killed it I mean they got up to the top branch and I'm just like this is awesome you know here I was thinking I was going to go teach them climbing techniques and they pretty much got, once you get, you know, the basics and the want to down, the rest is up to you. And so, yeah, from there, the next day, I think it was two or three days later, 
she came, she arrived back to, to kick Kakapan, which took her a couple of days, like transfer, just because communication and transportation in that country is extremely hard to do. And if you think about it, anything that you need to do as far as connectivity, networking, like stuff like that has everything to do with communication and transportation. Yeah. And so, it, yeah, it was, it was wild. Have you ever been to another country like that? Not like that. No, no, it was, it was interesting. It was really cool. I got a French book back to like the, when I went back the lot, when we were leaving, we stayed at the same hotel. I guess she always stayed at that same hotel. Cause she kind of knows the people. And yeah. Anyways, uh, the guys down there were, he could read, he he spoke quite a bit of English. Well, not quite a bit, but his, I guess his fiance spoke a lot of English. And so we kind of translated on the phone three ways. And I got this book and he ended up reading this book in French to these, this little girl down the road. And it was just, I don't know, little things like that. It was such the trees and the people and all of it. It was such a soul feeding experience to be able to like, connect and then in the village there's some kids that had never even seen a white person and so they they acted like they had seen a monster you know like two or three mm-hmm. just murder you know run the other way but anyway uh i get down in rabbit holes because it was such an exciting trip the little goats in the village there's so many goats in the village and the meat market in the village oh my gosh this girl that had a little baby comes up like i had met the baby before and she was ordering some meat and they just like take a hatchet like and an animal and start just hacking like I don't know you could check out my Instagram there's a lot of stuff on it about it because it was just like oh my gosh this is so wild this is wild but so then we go into the park it's like I think the first time we stayed like I said was something like 26 kilometers into the park maybe 32 I'm not sure exactly the number but quite a few into the park and in this part of the park they said you're not supposed to wear red well I never really got the full answer to why you're not supposed to wear red but they say the ancestors don't like it and you'll end up something will happen to you well Rachel doesn't necessarily believe in that but later like the trip because she ended up getting malaria and then I ended up getting a parasite from the water and had to go to the hospital there at Kakapan which and you is not anything of any sorts of hospital you've ever been to in the United States it's like I had to make sure that they got a new bottle and a new needle because there was like a stack of stuff that they could grab from. And I was just like, uh, you know, kind of like my translator, mm-hmm. like, so they just have a different, it's just different level of sanitary, sanitary is different, you know, but yeah. I ended up better from that. And Draco ended up said later, you know, like maybe it was that because I had a Yale Cordage like maroon hat on and I wore it over there and the Ahmed, which is the youngest, assistant he would learn how to cook and take care of like there's so many things to take care of at camp you have to have a cook you have to have somebody that's doing the laundry you have to have somebody while you're out checking the cameras or doing surveying on the land like you know you can't come home beat tired just and have to cook like there's so many different hats to fill per se anyways med was the youngest one and he was like uh, he was very he would study english at night and he was interested and wanted to know and he had that curiosity and I can appreciate you know passionately curious than anybody because I'm not good at very much but I'm passionately curious and that gets you a whole long way like I I think myself like man I've gone from this little bitty you know podunk town in Texas where let's not forget to say there was one point where I scored the courthouse and I had a reputation and this old lady had called me and I went and before I left, she kind of twisted her hip at me and put her hand on her hip and she I'll have you know. I called up there that chamber of commerce and they referenced you out, so you must be doing something right. And I was just kind of like, oh my gosh. Like at that moment in my life, it was just kind of like, I am successful in the tree business. I don't care if anything else, you know, like I, I felt like I have beat all odds as far as like I could have been such the villain with my reputation and the things that I had done, but it, it just seemed like the trees were the way to turn it around. Like even going to Africa, like, wow, like who gets to do that? That's amazing. I mean, I got to do a little bit of time and I wanted to mention about Wes Caldwell um, in Texas. I had the opportunity to learn from him about like 
the historical trees about. Do you know about Indian marker trees? Not at all. Nothing about Indian marker trees. Well, they're very interesting. Anyways, it's just interesting because Indians from, you know, they have to have years of back from like the 1870s because they have to be older. And stupid. So they have to point to something of value like burial grounds or feeding grounds or low water crossings or you know, they have to be manipulated in some way. And normally they'll have like a leather strap that they strap down to point towards something like the tree's actually pointing towards something. Anyways, at Lake Worth, there's one and it just got qualified as a heritage market tree. And um, it's pointing to the, the oxbow in Lake Worth. And so I got to learn about like the trees around Lake Worth and like the historical trees that are protected and help protect them. Like the lonesome dove tree, you know about the lonesome dove tree? Yeah, I think Where so. Started- yeah, they started the Good Night Happy Trail under that tree. Like they decided, two guys decided to start that trail. Anyways, you know, like the Tannehill Oak, which is one of my favorites because it has a cool name, but it's on the longest stagecoach route, like this side of the United States, period. Like they would stop there to change horses out or, you know, the post office is there. Just things like that that I got to learn from West that I didn't know before. But back to Africa. Because all of it plays in, like I'm, I'm sitting with these trees that the girth of them are, you know, the size of redwood. It, and it was just, I joke and say like with my neck, you know, like that, it's like they were flexing because they're just so, I don't know, but they have so much thorns that you can't find them. Because I was just like, I want to climb that one. And she's like, you wouldn't want to once you got up there. Because the, the thorns were just huge. But anyways, uh, I mentioned the hippos. Those are really, really, really cool. Oh, when I sat down to see the first hippo, I was just like, what is that noise? And every time you would hear it, you would just, I would be like, what is that? Because you'd hear this like, like a horse almost, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what is that noise? And a boo's like, hippo. And I was just like, nah. So I'm like, go over to the side. And I'm like, probably 15 yards, maybe a little bit closer to a hippo. Like, and it's looking at me and I have a video of it. And it's just intense, like, Oh my gosh, like this thing is, and then there's these little tiny frogs that were hopping all around me. It was like, I don't know. I always like would go out into open spots and see the river and think like, it's a circle of life. <laughs> like literally like the jungle book and the Lion King. It's just so many scenes from there that it was just so cool. It was cool. I got to go into, okay. So one day I talked to him into like taking me into the research station, which is a little bit further the, the reason why I keep thinking 26 kilometers is because that's how far the research station was from Pakapan. So the river is in between that. Anyways, devil's in the details. But um, we go out to the research station and I got to see like an elephant skull and hippo skulls. I have all the videos on Instagram, but it was just kind of like, oh my gosh. Like I learned about snails and I learned about the escargot there. It's huge, like bigger than your palm, huge. And like that, it's just, there was just so much. One time I came back from riding the Palog on the river one time and Dan Zan's like, Dana, Dana, snake. And he's doing his neck and he's doing his hand like this. And I'm like, oh, like that's human's cobra. Like, like that's what that means. And I'm like, where? I want to see it. And he's like, no, no, Tana, no, Tana. Shh, big, big. And I'm like, well, where? I want to see it. And so we're walking up to find the snake. And I guess an old Chinese, like, wise tell is if you find a snake skin put it in your wallet and you'll get rich so I'm like I'm renting the snake skin because I saw it one day when we're going to find one of these trees and I was like oh, I'm gonna find that skin and we found the skin that ended up being a cobra and that's what he saw that day but he saw the actual live snake but he was just freaking out Dana Dana be snake <laughs> and I was like did he really do that you know like did he really he's like yes like this he's uh <laughs> doing it I was cracking up but uh, anyways, um, I get down in rabbit holes. You'll have to keep me on task. No, that's perfectly fine. And I, you know, I, I love the story and everything that you did. It seems like for you was one of the best experiences you had um, just overall for your personal growth and for career growth and basically spiritual, you know, it was a combination of everything that really changed your life how does somebody else get involved in something like that whether it's africa whether it's something local how how does somebody 
use their experience in the tree care industry to kind of go on and do things like like what you've done well I mean I really think that it honestly just boils down to like we're all in together ask questions you could always be told no um I kind of just go off the motto like set my mind to it and I do it like my life really started changing about the time I went to the WTCW and I really think it is because of the mentors that I've had you know, teaching me about personal growth and about spiritual growth. And then I got to go to Africa and, you know, here I am still just growing, but um, you basically, she just wanted to say that anybody can kind of do it. Anybody that's interested in it, um, get a hold of me. I will give you her address, her email or not address, her phone number and her email. Um, it's an ongoing monkey monkey conservation, so it's it's an ongoing project. It's not necessarily stopped. After at one point, I said that um, I said, "Why can't I post any of the like the videos that we got on you know social media?" And she's just like, "You can't post them because they're intellectual property, which are used to write manuscripts and publish." Like that's why. You, and I was like, "Oh, I understand completely." Like. It was kind of at that point that language kind of shifted in my mind where I was kind of like, oh, this is a big deal. Like there was a girl, Kate, another biologist that had sent and asked if I could take a camera over there because there was another guy climbing in a swampy area over in Africa that they need help with because it's extremely hard to like do the throw line and get in a tree, access a tree from a wiggly log, which is a boat, you know, like from in a swamp area, you can't be in the swamp. So there's much needed help there's like we were talking about you know I said is there anything else that you would really want me to mention and she said you know there's people some people on the GoFundMe I want to thank but just mention that there's a lot of stuff to it like I was talking to her about things some of the data that had come back wasn't right because Abu and Musa had changed AM to PM and so some of the data that we had gotten was kind of not properly you know just because of the mishap of they didn't set the cameras right and my job was to go up and once I started kind of understanding the cameras I kind of think that we ventured towards more better data at the end of the trip but I was just kind of focused on keeping the bugs out of my face getting up the tree you know you it's a lot different once you get up there you kind of think about where would a monkey sit pretty high up in the canopy you know there's people that are needed in all areas of it like the GPS system, pretty extensive. Um, man, there's a lot of walking. There's a lot of, you know, ground surveying. There's a lot of, she said at one point, you know, if you ever see anybody out here, like poachers on the boats or whatever, let us know. And I was like, I saw one today. Like I saw them going across the river. She's like, yeah, the, you know, you tell somebody they're not supposed to be out here. At one point we ran into the whole forestry department which was a bunch of big guys with a bunch of ammunition. And it was just kind of like, ah, you know, at first it's like really nerve wracking, but they got off and they talked, Reiko and the leader of their little deal talked and then we took pictures together and then we got to go along our way. But yeah, just get a hold of me. There's definitely people needed for sure. I was thinking the other day about, I was checking some pastures in Texas for sick cows and whatnot. And I checked down on my saddle and there was like rubber tubing. And I was thinking to myself, you know, they use this rubber tubing to tie down everything. Like we would, we went on the motorcycles into the forest to go to both camps. Like that's what we rode. And you would not believe the amount of luggage that they could pack on a bike. And we were leaving and Tanzan, the city boy that he is, Ahmed is loading stuff onto the, you know, onto the motorcycle. And Tanzan's holding up the motorcycle and he's like, And I was just kept, I was rolling. I was laughing because here he is, this city boy. He's going to have to sit on this motorcycle. And he's just kind of like thinking to himself. And I could see what he was saying. Like, where am I going to fit? Holy cow, there's no more stuff I could fit. And he, he looks at me because I'm recording it. And he goes, Tana, what's the problem? What's the problem? And I'm like, nothing's the problem. Well, we come into town and it's about, I don't know, probably in our about two miles to town. And here he is walking with his backpack. And I am on the back of the motorcycle rolling. And a booze coming, stop laughing. Stop laughing. We're so funny. <laughs> and I was just laughing. He's such a city boy. It was really bumpy. The road's really tough. You have to, and she, you know, she told me all these things like, Tana, you need to understand that, you know, there's not any security over there. It's a dangerous place. It happened. It's a different country. The roads are treacherous. All this stuff, you know, like 
we'll be in the bush. There's wild animals. There's, you know, there's a chance of being ate. And, you know, like there's, there's all these things that could happen. And I'm like, you're not turning me away. But then once you get there, it's kind of a different story because it's exactly the things that she says it is. The road's extremely Tetris. It's extremely hot. It's, I don't know, but we all do need to take into consideration and do be very aware of the earth and what what's going away and going away so fast. Like we went to go see, like I mentioned earlier, uh, 11 kilometers in, we're searching a booth going to let me see the elephant, right? I'm like, I want to see the elephants. I've seen, I've seen these baboons. I've seen hippos at this point. I've seen other monkeys. I've seen some white-tailed mangle bees. I've seen some, you know, I've seen a few other things that I'm just kind of like, I really want to see the elephants. And we went and searched and searched. And that day we walked so long. I can remember like it was time for lunch and I just couldn't do it. We had to lay down and take a nap, which they do in Africa is just a thing like from one to three o'clock don't really expect anybody to do much because it's so hot so people go and take naps like even if you're in the middle of the forest that's that's wild was wild it really was wild I did want to mention uh, another I was just thinking about another cool thing um back in 1937 anyway some of on Lake Worth back to that there was a CCC camp, which Roosevelt had gotten started after the depression because, um, you know, the stock market had crashed. Anyways, I think he had only been in, inaugurated for like three months and he initiated this act, which was like, I think ended up being like 274,000 men actually ended up like enrolling, but they made all of the state parks in Texas. I think 56 parks is what they ended up making, but some of the largest, like the largest camp was actually held at like work and so those trees are protected anyways cool background I think you got to know where you come from kind of got to know the history of things to kind of have anything really yeah to have an appreciation for what it is now yeah for sure so with all of that being said what are you looking forward to do next is going back to Africa high on your list of things to do is it going to be another you know, country it is. I talked to some people, um, and, and it, uh, you know, I've talked to some people, and I really, I am going to go back. But when we were coming back, because the whole COVID thing, like, we almost didn't get to come back. Like, French shut, or France shut their airports down the next day. And, like, we had to have a COVID. It was like the whole COVID thing. It wasn't going to be that way when we were leaving, when we came into the country. But then before we left, it suddenly changed to where... We had to pay the, um, like I'd mentioned before, we had to pay the 2000 Safa to the minister, the health minister or whatever. Mm -hmm. Well, same thing came up, but it ended up being like 5,000 Safa. And we had to take a COVID test and we had to go to a certain clinic to get it. And oh my gosh, the clinic had like 2,000 people there that day. And it had been like that. And you had to wait in line and, you had to, and it was just, it was a lot. It was a lot. You had to get the paper from the, Colt D. Ivory um, minister saying that we were okay to leave after we got the COVID test. And it, was, it was just a lot. It was a lot. We ran around Abidjan for like two or three days, three days, I think, just in the scorching heat, running around trying to find a printer, trying to find, you know, people that could send money from our, where our money was at to the orange money so we could get it to the place so we could get the thing. I mean, it was just so many hurdles that just seemed like, but like I said, it's an ongoing project and I do understand more of it now. And I feel like my heart is totally like I was talking to her about, you know, like the cameras and how to work the GPS stuff and, you know, some different things. And so, yeah, I think that going back to Africa is in the plans for sure. I tried to get somebody to go with me the last time that spoke French, so I'd have a good translator and knew, you know, like at the end of the time, I, I taught him some aerial rescue. And that was the point was because here they're going out into the bush by themselves Abu and Musar and like there's not real sure how to save the other one so if they're up in that tree and let me tell you these these bees or these little bugs these little things will just not leave you alone and they go to your eyes and your mouth and those are enough to drive you mad like I got smart and put a bug net over my face and started climbing like that but there's bees there's mosquitoes that are the size of your toe I mean there's there's things there that aren't really here so you need to know how to save somebody you know 
you need to not make yourself another victim, you know, all the things that they had no idea about. That was really cool to get. And then Ahmed ended up at the very last of the trip, I ended up teaching him and well, not, I didn't really teach him. I mean, I just showed him how to do it and he took it over and he ended up climbing a couple of times. And it was such a rewarding experience just getting to teach them and then them being so thankful. And I don't know, it was really, really neat and they need help. So um, one thing I did forget to mention, there was a lot of people like on the GoFundMe because the GoFundMe is, is hard. It's like, you don't know, you're putting yourself out there almost like, hey, fund me is exactly what it is. But until you actually do it, you don't realize how much of an awkward position that puts you in. But there was a lot of people that donated. And I did just want to say thank you. Um, Colin, there was Amy Burko. I'm not sure if I pronounced that right or not. Kate, which is the one that I told you about since the camera with me. Uh, Susan Womble, Rebecca from the WTCW, Alex from the WTCW, Molly Hendricks, Alan Gilbert, William Goodwin, Michael Bilbrey, Kay Hurley, Janelle Goss, Brooke Dimple, and then Jim Paviskelin, and then there was four anonymous. I might not have pronounced those names right, but I did want to say thank you because like on the way back when I got to New York, had it not been for the GoFundMe and somebody had put money in there while I was actually at the trip, I would not have been able to make it. Like I didn't have enough gas money just because it ended up costing so much money to be able to get the COVID test. And I think all in all, I ended up spending personal money. And, and you know, it's just a number. I think paper is not something that's gonna run my life that people seem to think that it's uh, important, kind of like air, but I think I ended up close to 4,000. where I ended up spending time, effort, just the whole nine yards, like the yellow fever shot, the, you know, all of it. Yeah, no, that's, that's a lot. But you came out with an experience and a new perspective and a new drive. And that's, I think, really important that that you did feel so rewarded by the end of it, that, that you're still wanting to go back even after all the, the difficulties, at least with the airports and stuff like that. Right. You know, and there's like things with, like I went to Triapalooza right before I left for Africa and Triapalooza, I'm not sure if you're familiar or not, you know about Triapalooza? think I do all the names are starting to blur together at this point well it's too legit to quit it's bad to the bone like I went and they had a plane lodged in the tree for area rescue and I, I got to be a timer for like the you know like the area that they do area rescue in and it was just the people I don't know the tree people in the industry I feel like this world is lacking and there's a huge gap between what really needs to be and what is and I think it's devices and where we put our mind but it has a lot to do with communication and connection and I think that there's more people in the tree world that are connected to things that people that aren't outside and aren't in trees and aren't around things that have a majestic sense about them are losing and so I think that it's our job and we have a big job and I definitely feel like I have a huge job as a female in the industry just blazing trails because there's only three percent women in this arboriculture world so I mean, luckily I have some awesome mentors that I'm learning from how to do it properly, you know, classically and have integrity and, you know, be able to spread the knowledge about safety because there's just like me, people out there that didn't have any idea that there was another way to do it just because they're so busy trying to make their chainsaw work or, you know, whatever it is like there's just and, and if you look in a steel magazine, there's not any ropes, you see no ropes, you see only mechanics you see only like chainsaws and you know stuff like that there's not anything about proper climbing techniques and so I think that not just with Africa but just all around the world just like with their team of climbers and you know they're talking about the canopy is one of the most undiscovered territory I had the chance to go meet with um OSU's a guy that teaches at OSU some climbing techniques and he studied the spotted owl what an amazing guy he he invited me and my son we had lunch with his family and we went over all, I guess before him, there was only 50 noted cases of the spotted owl. And it was ironic because I had just met a buddy, Jeff from the Redwood Rec Climb. And he was talking about this video that he had and how it changed his life when they quit the old growth, like the chopping down of the old growth. And he had, his dad mm -hmm. took his camera the last day of work when they're cutting down this old growth. And then here I go to the professor's house that talks about, he wrote the paper to actually get the old growth stopped. And it's just kind of like, oh my gosh, 
this is ironic, you know, like, and I tell him both the story, you know, of the other, and he was like, I really want to see that video. And, you know, it's just, we have a job and the job is to connect, to, to bridge the gap of, of all things, of females and males working together. There's so many different, you know, topics that I feel like are important, but mainly just connecting what people don't know to how important trees are. And it's not all about production. It's not all about the paper. It's about connecting. It's about, you know, loving each other. It's about growing and appreciating each and every one of us. And, you know, because if you're not doing your best, I'm not, even if I'm at my best, I can't, I can't get the best because we're all on the same team. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And just being cognizant of the time. Um, it's about our hour now. I, I just want to ask one more thing, and then I'll give you a chance to to say anything that we might have missed. But how do you go about making these connections? Um, you're very outspoken, social, like like you said, how you, you kind of made it into the, the Petzl event just by you know, putting on a smile and going in there. How, what's your advice for other people who are also looking to, to get involved in, in ways like that and make those kind of connections? Well, ain't nobody else going to do it for you. I mean, you're just going to have to get in there. I, I can appreciate anybody that's in the arena swinging. Even if you, I've looked like an idiot and still to this day, like sometimes like throwing the throw ball or, you know, whatever it is, I'm not perfect at it, but I really think that people appreciate genuinely curious people. Like I want to know, I, I want to learn out, you know, go do it, go travel, see different places, you know, meet mentors, people that can direct you in the right places. I mean, there's, that's really what it's about, really. Cause you ain't got nothing unless you can give it away. So I guess that's your answer. This episode of the TCIA podcast is brought to you by the brand new TCI Magazine website, the digital supplement to the most widely read periodical in the tree care industry. No matter where you are in the world, you can have top-notch content, timely industry updates, and cutting-edge advertisers you have come to expect from TCI Magazine for the past 30 years, all in the palm of your hand. The fully responsive TCI Magazine website breaks down years of content into neatly organized categories specific to certain aspects of tree care businesses, making it easier than ever to navigate and find articles on exactly what you're looking for. You can discuss articles in real time through the new commenting feature, as well as share articles with friends, family, and colleagues through the vastly improved social sharing. We've also been listening to you, our readers, over the years. And to make this content more accessible than ever, we've included article translations for nine different languages. So if English isn't your primary language, you can still enjoy the experience of reading TCI Magazine. So head over to tcimag.tcia.org to check out the brand new TCI Magazine website, the official website of the most widely read periodical in the tree care industry. That's tcimag.tcia.org. Dot org.